Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. Welcome, I'm Ross Lauder, your host from Single Focus Talent, and I'm joined by our non-exec director, John Quigley, today. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Today, we are joined by Brendan Noud, co-founder and CEO at LearnUpon. Uh, Brendan founded the company uh, over a decade, uh, nearly at this stage, having had a decade of experience in the space with a simple belief that a platform in the LMS and learning environment should be simple and quick to set up. which is also backed by exceptional 24-7 customer support today. They boast over 1,000 customers worldwide with offices in the US, Australia, and two across Europe. They're an indigenous Irish company that are winners of multiple awards and just announced a significant funding round of $56 million. So really keen to understand what drives Brendan and where the organization is, is headed. So welcome to today's uh, show, Brendan. Thanks, Ross, and great to, great to chat. Well, look, we're looking forward to, to diving right in. So let's not uh, hesitate. Uh, maybe just take us through, you know, what brought you to where you are today? What were some of those inflection points, the learnings, the stages, and I suppose the decision trees I'm really curious on, and then we can dive into the product in more detail. So tell us about you, if you will, Brendan. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm, I'm originally from Kildare in Ireland, which is a bit just south of Dublin. And I've always been very interested in business throughout my career, um, probably somewhat coming from my parents and my uh, they had their own restaurant in Carlo for over 30 years, 34 years on the go now. Um, so even as a young kid, myself and my, my younger brother and sister, we were we were wheeled in to, to play a role there, clean tables, wash dishes, eventually get promoted up to serving on the counter, which was, which was where you wanted to get to in your career as a, as a, as a young lad uh, working in a restaurant. Um, and so that kind of entrepreneurial background in my parents, I think definitely kind of kind of handed down to me and also to, to my to my brother and sister who would be kind of similar uh, my brother has his own landscape gardening business as well um, and that business interest I did uh, become for college so I just wanted to kind of get a kind of a general business background I was just interested in in all areas and eventually I started my career in consultancy actually I joined KPMG consulting um, in the late 90s and uh, spent five years there. They eventually evolved into Bearing Point and um, got a, a lot of experience with IT strategy and um, different uh, strategy projects that they were working on, um, a lot of larger government projects as well, and really enjoyed my time there. I think it gives you a great grounding as a graduate coming out of college. Um, you get great training and mentorship from from people who have you know a lot of experience in, in consultancy for for any of the kind of big four big five consultancy firms and um that uh, i think my experience there what i did find is i after five years i was starting to get a little bit of itchy feet and looking for something the kind of larger projects that went on for 12 or 18 months i i used to find myself uh i'd i'd learn loads the first couple of months and then get a little bit bored and i like, kind of wanted to move on to something else um, so eventually that led me to moving on to from KPMG to work uh, join WBT Systems, who were one of the first 
e-learning LMS companies globally, uh, founded in the mid-90s. Um, I joined them in 2004 and um, as a project manager and really enjoyed, I ended up uh, eight years there, really enjoyed my time where you had lots of projects on the go and they were global, working with companies all over the world, like the World Bank, Valero Energy, Dow Chemical, etc. So really interesting companies. Um, it helped combine my passion for traveling and seeing new places um, with, with, with my job. And uh, I, um, I kind of evolved my time there. Um, it's also actually where I met my co-founder and upon Des Anderson. Um, so Des is our CTO. And uh, right from my, my first day in WBT, myself and Des hit it off and became good mates. Um, we worked together on a lot of projects. I was project manager and he would have been solution architect. And uh, so we got to, to travel on site, client site a lot and, uh, you know, kind of work hard. You always had a lot to do in those big um, LMS implementations. Um, but also then when you had some downtime, we got to, to go out and enjoy ourselves and see cool places, you know, go out and have pints and, and have the crack. And um, so that uh, really enjoyed my time there. Um, so myself and Des worked closely together over that period. I moved over that time from a project manager role into more account management, looking after some of the larger accounts. And there was a lot of um, ongoing uh, customization and services work with those implementations. So I would have um, kind of played a role in helping to identify those new opportunities and new business and, and manage it through as well. And eventually I moved into sales um, initially, I used to support the, the sales team, kind of almost what today would be like a sales engineer role. But back then it was sort of uh, because I knew the product really well, um, I'd be brought in to help do the product demonstrations and kind of help map complex requirements through to WBT's platform and really enjoyed that, really enjoyed the thrill of the sale and the chase. And it was often quite a long sales cycle. Um, but big deals, large deals when you, when you were successful. And I got a, a great buzz out of that and wanted to eventually move full-time into sales and, and, and became basically a, an account executive or sales sales rep and, and did that for my last four years in, in WBT. And um, I guess throughout that period, there was always the niggling at the back of my head of like really knowing the space quite well, that there might be an opportunity to build a, a cloud SaaS solution that was quicker to set up, easy to use. Um, and as you mentioned at the start, great customer support. Um, WBT was a, their platform was behind the firewall, kind of installed on, on servers. Um, as I mentioned, very professional services driven, very kind of custom solution for each client, very powerful and worked great for very large organizations that had complex requirements. Um, but for kind of the lower end of the market or smaller companies, um, you know, that kind of solution wasn't going to work. It was too expensive, took too long to implement and, um, you know, wasn't a fit. So uh, through, through lots of chats in the pub and different things during our, our latter years in WBT, we, myself and Des, um, uh, we eventually, and some some uh, made sweat equity uh, co-founders of ours, we, we kind of talked about, could we go build a solution for the SMB market um, and, and what might that look like? So... That's um, kind of a little bit of background onto the, the early start of, of how we got uh, got to go, got about to founding LearnUpon. So you mentioned a couple of interesting points there, and um, the niggle is something I can certainly relate to. Um, I noticed that you've had a 
a very admirable career in um, some very well-respected corporates, etc. And I think when we speak to CEOs, the common thread that we see on a regular basis is family business. It seems to be, it's the background that I come from myself in the chemical and pharmaceutical industry. And it's kind of this customer first to customer centric approach. I mean, my dad used to put it on the walls of his office and customer led, customer focused. And um, I'm curious because what you've done is quite brave. You know, we're a, we're a small island uh, on the western fringe of the Atlantic and um, or the eastern fringe, whatever way you want to look at it. And, uh, you know, we're taking on the world. What, what kind of drove you to 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 make that leap? And how did you know you would be successful or did you know? And where did you see the major gaps and what excites you about that space? If you could share. Um, yeah, so I suppose a few things it's definitely it's it's a tough decision to make because like I had a, had a very good job with WBT and I did enjoy my role um and yeah let's say got to travel a lot well paid but probably the niggles was maybe the ambition um I always felt that maybe there was a bigger opportunity there and um really wanting to to go for that and as well like I always had my own thoughts on maybe how to structure the business and like like learn upon is the very opposite to WBT in many ways in terms that we're not services driven at all. We we're pure SaaS solution. It's configurable, but there's there's no services work. Um, but also very our how we grew the business, very marketing driven. So we invested heavily there in both content and paid marketing channels. And I always had thoughts about like how you would go about building that. And at some points, I think you kind of want to try these things and test yourself and see can you deliver on it. Um, and I think I certainly seen, I suppose, again, back to the background with my parents, like seeing the chances they took in their careers sort of gives you that confidence that to, to go and have a go at it. Um, probably in hindsight, looking back, I've always felt maybe I could have done it when I was a bit younger and had less uh, commitments, like um, trying to do it when you have a mortgage and things like that definitely adds to the risk. The, the, the other side of that, though, is I had more experience and that probably stood to me when you're trying to set out and start a business from scratch um uh you know it's so there's there's a bit of a trade-off there between like at what point in your career do you take that jump um and uh so so that was it i think like in terms of we always felt there was a big demand in the it's like it's a it's a huge area like the the tam the market for e-learning and learning management systems is, is huge there's there's lots of players there. Um, it wasn't like uh, for starting a business where to be um, a land grab, first mover, like let's go out and raise tons of money and, um, you know, try and get this space. It wasn't a new category. Um, we did come at it from the perspective of, okay, there's there's hundreds of solutions out there, but they have limitations. You know, the, the support is notoriously poor across the space. The products are really complex. You know, you have to go on days of training to learn how to use them. Um, the the time frame to see that ROI is is very very slow. So, all of those kind of things were like, okay, let's. You know, I think someone used the phrase to me once when I was talking to them about the early days of Learn Upon that you're just trying to build a better mousetrap. And to some degree, I think that's 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 pretty true. Like you know, what we wanted to do. So, Brendan, um, I mean, I've. I've... So many questions to ask you, but I'm, I'm in the back of my mind. Um, I'm I'm wondering, do you worry about getting too clunky and over engineering your your solutions? Kind of like you know the the LMS systems that 
in your in your earlier career that you were responsible for selling and implementing and kind of project managing. Um, and what what jumps into my mind is like the you know the 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 anti software kind of early days of Salesforce.com and um, I don't know if you use Salesforce or you have used Salesforce these days, but it can be an extremely complex <laughs> tool. So I, I'm not sure if if you know their whole mission kind of um, uh, you know um, is the same now as it was in the early days. So do you worry about your software kind of getting too over-engineered and too clunky? And if so, like how do you deal with that, or how do you monitor that? Yeah, totally. Like, and um, it's a big area for me. It's kind of the thing that what like people ask, what keeps you awake at night? That's definitely right. okay. that um, I'm always myself and Des were very paranoid about like because we can see it as you add more and more customers. Like when you've ten or twenty customers at the very start of your business and they're all small, it's easy to have a simple solution for them. And UX can be great, and the the usability and intuitive nature. Like we used to at the start to learn upon one of our marketing or sales phrases were that like you could be up and running in less than an hour. And in a space where normally, if you were lucky, maybe three to six months, um, often 12, 18 months. So this idea that you could be up and running and delivering content in less than an hour was like sort of a utopia or something like that. But it was true as well. We, we could demonstrate, we could do a sales demo. And by the end of it, the customer would be live. You know, if they gave us the content in advance, we'd have it up and have users in there, have the whole thing running branded the whole thing um as we matured as a business over the last eight years and we've gone from smb into mid-market and we're starting to move into the enterprise space the last you know 18 24 months the product uh, and our engineering development team went from just being des or des and stevo uh, our first development hire back in the early days to you know 80 people in product and engineering today so the complexity of the product, it's it's very, very different today. Um, and so, yeah, I would like be kind of like really conscious of we don't want to wake up someday and turn into, oh, the, like we're the new cornerstone or Saba, as in that level of um, complexity and bells and whistles and just really clunky solution that customers don't like. It, they're powerful. So don't get me wrong. They're definitely very powerful, but they're not a great experience. So the, the user experience is poor. And um, so we're trying to, uh, as we move up market, our, our ACV goes up, we're trying to close bigger logos and really position or get ourselves to a position where we're seen as the leader in the space. You know, the company that any major business, when they're looking for a global LMS that they look to learn upon, that's, we're not, we're nowhere near there yet, but that's where we want to get to over the next four or five years. But we want to do that um, as we build out the platform, make it, build out those enterprise features we've invested really heavily in a product and design team um so product has evolved in the early days from being myself and des spec in the product and this is what we're going to build to you know we've people way better than us today in terms of the proper um product methodology and approach we take in terms of gathering requirements from our customers validating them going through you know ux and ui design design sessions um, right the way through, like the processes. I've, I'm kind of looking at almost from the outside, looking in at what the product team do now, and it's really, really impressive. And I can see the output and I can kind of go, okay, we're going about this the right way, I think. And we really are not looking to just churn out features 
any way at all to tick boxes, but to actually build an overall platform and solution that scales, it has the power, it has the features, but is actually, you know, built on great UX and a great customer experience. Some people get that so wrong, you know, let, let's stay on that for a minute, right? So let, let's talk about digital experience or, or customer experience or CX or whatever you want to call it. And I know that you're a big proponent of, of the concept and you have a huge focus on your customers. Um, the, and I happen to know you uh, personally, Brendan, we, we met a few years ago at, at, um, at uh, you, you, you were displaying at a, um, at a um, conference in Orlando and the uh, bunch of years ago now at this stage, you know, and it just struck me kind of on, on, on the, on the cold face uh, kind of founder CEO has huge enthusiasm for listening to um, people's feedback on, on your software and kind of you were there gathering that uh, firsthand, you know, so, so good on you for that. So in terms of the, the CX piece, the, 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 so, and for our listeners, um, uh, customer experience in a B2B context, uh, we define as reducing friction throughout the buyer's journey and kind of being easy to buy from, really, you know, and uh, your software being easy to use as well. And um, in, in our experience, um, kind of laggards are, are focused on uh, incremental improvements to the customer journey. But market leaders really take a blank page approach to designing processes that provide a, a differentiated know they, they, they kind of look at it and they say okay um you know uh the full end-to-end kind of journey and touch points um you know wh- wh- where are, are the moments that matter here um for, for people on this journey you know so i'll give you an example right say you redesign even a simple thing like a website um based and uh, and and you know you look at Kind of the journey and the insights and um you know you, you get a base group of people to interact um with with the website and then you start to observe things you know like uh, an anthropologist or something like that you know kind of how they're navigating what they do next or uh, you know where they were and a lot of technology is designed sometimes with the human in mind but once people start interacting or touching technology you discover something new about your own product or something new that customers want. And, you know, with the COVID stuff, it seems like everyone went digital during the lockdown. And I'm wondering, have you spent a lot of time on your digital or mobile experience, um, you know, or, or even your online experience, um, you know, to, to improve that customer experience? Or maybe it was just brilliant anyway, Brendan, but, I mean, can you share with us how you approach the whole kind of customer experience thing? Yeah, and I, I think I look at, I've always come at it from two sides as well. So you've touched a good bit there, John, on the technology and the product side of yeah. customer experience and what actually using your product is like and um, like into the UX and, and, and all of that kind of areas like accessibility and everything like that is really important. The other part for me, and I think it's just more, is that the people side. So as we've moved more digital, I think there is a trend to try and, automate a lot of things with chat bots and, you know, make there's tech, all sorts of SaaS products and technology out there um, to make that process really efficient and, and, you know, technology driven. We in learn upon, I've always been a fan of like, yeah, you need to be as efficient in your whole process, that customer journey from prospect right the way through, through to customer and, and 
advocate, etc. You, you need to be efficient and use technology along the way. But we've been a big fan of the, the people side. And we always say like what kind of sets learn upon apart. It's our platform and our people. They go hand in hand. And so when you sign up for learn upon, it's not just a piece of software with like a bunch of features. You also get sign up for the team that's behind learn upon. And that's everything from your first interaction with one of our BDRs, be it on, you know, intercom on our website or that first like, um, you know, inbound call from a prospect. And we try to add value from that first interaction when when our BDR team talked to a prospect, right through to going through to our AEs and like uh, the kind of solution, the solution presentation, but more like understanding what our customers are trying to achieve, what does success look for them. And the product is almost like it kind of gets superimposed at the end to some degree when we really understand what it is that our customers are trying to do or prospects are trying to do. And, and often, not often, but sometimes we're not a fit and we'll be quite selective on that. We'll actually, rather than trying to kind of jam our solution down a prospect's throat and thing like, oh yeah, we can, we can do all that for you. If we know we're not a fit and particularly in certain industries and use cases, we know we're not, we, we very quickly qualify out and, and politely walk away from those opportunities um, because we believe that longer term, you know, where to become the market leader of where we want to get to, um, a big factor in that is going to have good fit, happy, loyal customers um, who become advocates of Learn Upon. Um, so we put a, a lot of focus on that. And that's right through to how we train our new hires. Like they all go on six to eight week boot camps to not just understand the product, but to understand the domain, the industry. So e-learning all like the, the nuances that go with LMSs and e-learning content, various standards. It's a, it's a very mature and quite complex industry. And we want to make sure that everyone that joins us can actually add value in every conversation. Um, and that goes through to then our support and success teams, which again has been a huge factor in our success to date. Um, but like we've invested heavily in that. It doesn't come cheap, but we we feel it's a differentiator and Whereas a lot of our competitors would look at support and, uh, and maybe success as a, as a cost center and how can you kind of get economy, economies of scale and how can you reduce those costs? We're, we're the opposite, like we're not, we're, we're investing in this. This is part of what makes Learn Upon different. Um, so I think that that's interesting. You combine that with a product where um, kind of to your point, we're very data driven. We look at how our customers use the product. Uh, we, we, get a lot of data and input from our support teams, our success teams, the actual app usage, and feed, all that feeds into um, the product teams and, and how we go about uh, improving and enhancing the platform itself as well. Very good. I, I, I love those, um, those feedback loops, but even more the approach to when, when people join your company to actually educate them on the market uh, is completely aligned with part of my own personal framework that I kind of inculcate into organizations, you know, that, that I've worked for, because you can't just turn salespeople loose on the street and hope they're going to hit a quota without knowing how, how to discuss business value and in, in, in impact and goals in, in certain markets. So for me, there's so many people making mistakes where they bombard um, their, uh, their new recruits with, uh, you know, the product. Uh, here's what the product goes, here's the features and benefits, and they completely forget to 
uh, enabled and um, kind of what it's like to operate within the market itself. So I, I completely align with that. I think it's market first, and then it's like kind of where do you operate or where do your products operate within that that particular um, ecosystem. So what I'd like to ask is, what's the next big main goal um, for you, Brendan? Um, I know you've raised a substantial amount of money um, um, recently to allow you to do uh, many things, and, and sometimes that can possibly be a curse because you, you can do loads of things, you know, you could do loads of things, but it's what are you going to do um, really that's important and how is that going to impact and, and grow the business and get a return on, on money? But um, and to give some context, I, I founded Grow Software Company a number of years ago, and we, we announced, you know, 150 jobs. And after that, one of, one of the board wanted to get to a thousand employees, right? That was his thing. Um, not sure if, if that's a key driver in a business, but um, you know, that that was his thing. Um, he wanted um, to, to grow the company to a thousand employees, and some founder CEOs want to get to a, a specific number. You know, um, I, I worked for an organization. Um, where um, the uh, the CEO had a number, and I, I never forget the number was ninety three, and um, I remember we got shirts made up with ninety three uh, on the back, um, you know, for for various activities. Ninety three million uh, was the number that he wanted to get to, but uh, and bizarrely, I, I seem to be the only one that knew that number in the company. But <laughs> we we got this done anyway, and. You know, some people are, you know, 100 million, right? Especially in a SaaS business, right? It's 50 million, 100 million, right? That's the next big thing. Some people focus on evident numbers. You know, some people want to smash the, the 40 rule or some people want, you know, number of customers or number of users or whatever. What's what's your, personally and, and for the business, what's, what, what's your next big milestone that you'd like to get to? I suppose we've looked at like we we've always felt, particularly again back to the space we're in, that it wasn't going to be like we weren't looking for. We've grown very fast, so it's worth mentioning that. But like we're not hyper growth like Zoom or Slack or or one of these companies. Um, we've always felt that because it's a mature market, we really needed to build out a great product and you know establish ourselves and. Um, if we tried to, and we've seen some competitors that started around the same time of us, went out, raised a lot of money very early, went out, you know, went from 100 to 300 people in 12 months, but then to some degree, you know, crashed and burned because you can't hire at that rate and really onboard like the values and the culture and, and um, all that kind of, well, at least the approach we take to get to get a really good customer experience if you're if that's your route. Um, so we've we've to some degree taken a slightly slower route to get to here, but um, with the raise that we've done recently, we kind of see we're in a position now to actually go and accelerate that. Ultimately, we've always said out we wanted to become the market leader in the space. So um, I suppose you could argue who that is today. There's players out there like probably Cornerstone, who earlier this year merged with Saba, so two of the biggest players um, doing, you know, several hundred million in, in ARR um, from their LMS business. And probably, you know, if you stop someone on the street in the L&D place, they'd be first, uh, first name off the top of the head. Um, we're, we would like to get to position in the next four or five years where Learn Upon is that kind of mark, seen as the market leader when any business um, you know, uh, is out looking for an LMS, their first or a new LMS, um, that we would be top of mind. So we put a plan in place to get ourselves to that position. Um, so there's definitely ARR targets in there. 
to get there, we know we're going to have to hire. Um, while it's been an interesting journey, like we'll finish this year at just over 200 people, probably 205, 210. Um, seven years ago, it was just myself and Des. So it definitely, you kind of look at, wow, that's that kind of happened quickly. Um, and we know in the next four or five years, we could well be six, eight, 600, 800, maybe 1,000 people. That, that number isn't a major driver for us. Um, we want to hire the best people to deliver that customer experience, to build the best platform and to support it better than anyone else. And so to get to where we want to get to in terms of market positioning, customer numbers, like scale, we, we know we're going to have to hire to, to do that. Um, so they're closely linked, but probably the main driver is we want to become the recognized leader in the space um, by we've said our, like by 2025, that's what we're working towards. So, um, and I think if we continue to scale and do what we've done really well to date, uh, back to our earlier point, don't, uh, don't overcomplicate the product as, as we move more up market um, and continue to focus on that great customer experience. I think we'll have a, a good chance of getting there. We need to do a lot to, continue to build our brand. You know, we're very, very US focused about 70% of our businesses in North America. But even with that, like we're, we're, there's still, um, it's sort of tip of the iceberg, that market for us. There's a lot of companies that still don't know us. So we do want to uh, continue to build our reputation so that when people are going for an LMS, all we want to do is if we can make the short list of four or five vendors that they look at, we're pretty confident we'll win, we'll win the majority of those deals. I like it. Um, situation drives strategy, as they say. And, um, you know, so how, how is the current obvious situation driven your strategy at Learn Upon? Are, are you moving more upstream to, to enterprise, are you finding? Are you spending more time with existing customers so that, you know, you, you can unlock additional value for them or are you charging into new markets or kind of, you know, like the new market strategy sometimes can be risky, right? Because purchasing attitudes shift, right? Um, uh, because, People view some solutions and products as being extendable or postponable, you know, in 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 downturn times and whatnot, you know. And then, you know, some companies charge forward, etc. You know, so, so I'm curious, how has the um, how's the current situation? How's that driving your strategy? Um, it hasn't changed it too much. We've always been kind of quite clear in what markets um, we're focused on, both geographically, but also from a use case and say customer segment perspective um we know where our solution is very strong um we kind of we position ourselves very much as companies who want to train multiple audiences on a single platform so that multi-audience use case be it like employee training customer training partner training that's where we're particularly strong um there's segments that we've never really sold into um like for example government or higher ed or pharma and we know we're not the best solution for those areas. So we'll always kind of qualify out of those areas. And uh, even though there's a lot of opportunity there, we try not to get distracted by it and continue to just to double down and focus on where we know we're, our platform is, is very strong and that we, we add a lot of value to our customers. So we're continuing to focus on those kind of segments. We are moving up market. Um, we're seeing um, as we get better known and as our, our platform builds out that we're becoming a, a really strong solution for kind of more enterprise companies. Um, probably 
you know, most of our, our sweet spot today is still mid-market, maybe 500 to 5,000 employee companies. Um, but we're starting to move into 10, 20,000, 50,000 uh, employee companies. I think that will continue to be the case over the next couple of years. Um, and then maybe a couple of years down with the line, I think as we continue to scale, we may look at new geographic markets. So like whether that's a, an EMEA rollout, you know, in a couple of years time, that's, that's possibly something that, to look at at that point but for the next kind of 12 to 24 months i think it's very much continue to to focus on the markets we're strong in um invest in the product and and slowly kind of continue to move up market so so brendan it goes without saying you have an absolutely exceptional product i think we talked quite extensively about ui and ux and um i think i think you know nailed that um, but you mentioned something a little bit earlier that really kind of struck a chord with me. And, you know, you mentioned about creating, a, you know, a better mousetrap, et cetera. But you also said that, you know, you invested heavily in marketing in the beginning. And that's something I don't hear very often. I mean, often it's a case and I've plenty of friends who've started software companies and they've been OK. You know, they've been some of them product centric, some of them in a services centric, et cetera. But their assumption was that we need a good sales guy. You know, and, and as John uh, kind of let, said earlier, you can't just set a, a sales guy loose and say off you go. And the old school approach was very much, you know, if you can picture this, nobody does it anymore. But it's almost like in a virtual sense, you know, put a put a brochure under their arm and have them go and knock on doors. What really has been missed is that the market is more sophisticated and the buyer is more sophisticated. They're self-educated and self-taught. They're going ahead and they're researching you and what you have to offer ahead of time and as I worked at HubSpot for many years and, and their assertion was that 70% of sale is done ahead of um, you even having a conversation with a salesperson um, and, and I see that particularly the case in, in very mature markets in EMEA like the, the DAC region etc those guys know what they're doing and I'm curious to know like you, you've obviously got 70% of your business in North America and that's that's no accident but maybe could you share with us a bit of how you've structured sales and marketing to allow sales guys to engage with kind of qualified buyers and I really loved what you said about qualifying out because there is no more power than saying no to a customer you know we're not a fit for you because that won't pay off in the long term but maybe if you could share with us some of your kind of sales and marketing philosophies and how that's led you to kind of generate the demand as it were and, and then scale out ultimately yeah so like right from the start we we were very focused on content and that was like even like the first probably year or two it was me writing a lot of our blog posts so we day one i kind of set myself a target to write at least one blog post every week and um try to be really disciplined in that so even if i got to sunday night at 10 p.m and i hadn't written a blog post i wouldn't go to bed until i got that week's post written and published and um i learned a lot there actually from watching the intercom team and i, I kind of sort of know des trainer i'd seen him talk a few times and he he had talked they, they kind of started a couple of years before us talked about how they had put a big focus on, on good quality content and um, we were actually, um, yeah, haven't seen Des talk. That was always at the back of my mind. So we tried to, you know, not write about ourselves too much or write about features and things like that, but actually write high value content that somebody would, if they read it and they were in the space, they'd, they'd learn from it. It'd be educational. They'd, they'd, they'd value it and hopefully they'd share it around. Um, so we we focused very much on that. And then when it came to actually myself and Des, like making hires, 
Our first hire was in customer support, which ties back to our focus there. And we hired Shane um, seven years ago now. And that was important. It allowed me to focus more on selling. So I was doing all our early sales and Des to focus on product development. And our second hire was Caroline in marketing. So um, again, it tied into, I always felt, okay, we need to, to build a content engine here as best we can. Um, and and we also did paid channels and we experimented with those. We didn't have very much money in the early days. So it was like, if we're going to spend, you know, a thousand euro on Google ads, I wanted to see leads coming through. I wanted to be able to turn them into demos and I wanted to turn those into paying customers before going to pay again, uh, going to spend more on that channel. Um, so we did a lot of that in the early days, experimented with different channels if we saw something working, we just recycled the revenue we were getting in very quickly, double down on that channel and go again. So we combined those paid channels with, it took a while to build up, but the organic tra- uh, traffic from writing really good content. And today we have a quite a big content team um, led by Caroline, but um, we're continue that approach of producing really high value content and our blog gets over a hundred thousand visitors a month. Um, so, you know, over very slowly over eight years, that's what it's, it's scaled up to. Um, and then that, that traffic, obviously a, a certain proportion of it would come through and look for demos of our product. And, and then we had a pretty good sales process from there, which evolved over time as well. We learned how to segment it um, in the early days when I did hire first couple of uh, account executives in the team when I wasn't able to keep up with the opportunities. It was like, okay, now we need to actually hire some salespeople. Um, but we were largely inbound, 90% inbound through that marketing engine. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a refreshing message to hear. And it's definitely a continuing uh, trend, I suppose, um, that we're seeing. And you, you came from a very content, content-centric kind of um, universe. And you mentioned about um, you know keep, you know everyone has something that keeps them up at night, but I'm curious to know what excites you and gets you up in the morning. Um, I guess the progress we're making and what we're doing, like my job, my role has evolved a lot over the years. Like in, in obviously in the early days of a startup, you're doing everything, uh, a lot of things yourself from doing the sales demos, writing the content, sending out the invoices. Hopefully, if you're lucky, um, you know, doing the management accounts and. Uh, as we scaled up to like I say nearly 200 people now um for me it's like okay my my direct role has changed a lot and what I enjoy is actually looking at the team that we're putting together um looking at the hires we're making across the business for the next phase of the journey and uh getting to know those people and learn from them and watch them come in and bring a lot of experience and playbooks as we as we look to scale up the business so to become a best-in-class SaaS business um so we've made really great hires from you know leading companies like uh Qualtrics and Pluralsight and um you know Lucid Charts and different companies like that and so we've been blending that with our with our kind of early learn upon team who thankfully the vast majority are still with us um and have come through that journey from being a you know, a small five, 10 person startup to, to where we're going today and continue to go on that journey. So there's a great buzz in that. I mean, it's still a roller coaster. You still have ups and downs, days where things go really well, days where you might miss out on a deal you thought you were going to win. Um, so that that never goes away. And so that excitement of um, 
okay, what are, what are we going to be doing today is, is definitely gets me up in the morning. And it's, um, yeah, overall, it's just really enjoyable, like watching how things have evolved and the team we have. And we saw a lot of it actually with, with our investment with Summit, like kind of the due diligence for a, round, a, a raise of that size is, is really detailed. And, and some of it is like, I actually get to see the level of detail of what we're doing across our different teams. And I, I found out like, Wow, this is impressive, you know, um, because uh, you're you're a bit more removed of it as as the company gets bigger. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of it. It's um, it, it's it's kind of just the journey that we're on and trying to see where I can help provide guidance and and, and some input where I can. And other than that, I try to stay out of the way and and let the teams execute, you know. And they've been doing a great job on that. So, Brendan, we, we always like to ask people what they what their superpower is, you know, and um, uh, anyone who's listened to the show before, we kind of um, contextualize it um, around uh, four areas, you know. So um, some some founder CEOs, such as, as yourself, are very strong at, you know, um, products. They, they, they live and breathe kind of solving problems for people in markets. And um, they, they, a lot of the time, are very strong um engineering backgrounds and kind of product development backgrounds or you know it could be um it could be culture as well you know some people are great at attracting uh, talent you know they are just, just great with people and bringing in talent and you know giving them relative autonomy to do the job etc or um the other the other two buckets are um you know the whole business model deal management uh all, all of that uh, kind of uh, metrics say the marketing uh, type piece or just the operational piece some people are just incredibly good at establishing um, and optimizing uh, processes you know for, for effectiveness and efficiency in the organization so where's um and, and only one really right um brendan you probably have them all but <laughs> we uh, t- tell us um you know what what you feel your, your superpower um is or has that evolved over time or kind of what, what would you see as your your superpower yeah i think definitely in the early days of learn upon and even prior to learn upon the product one is probably where I'd fit. Like I, I've always been passionate about like trying to build great products that people will use and get value from and um, understanding like customers pain points and, and frustrations and being able to map that to a solution. Um, I'm not a developer or a coder. That's, that's where Des brought the magic, but, um, but I definitely was, always good at understanding what, what what a good software platform could look like. And that's why myself and Des worked very, my early days, like even my KPMG days, I was started my career as a business analyst. So like I had a good, a good experience there. And, and up until probably recently, like I would have been very still heavily involved in the product we're learning upon, you know, the vision, what we're trying to, where we're building out. Um, we, we hired a new head of product a little over a year ago and, um, we've scaled out our product team significantly and I've seen my my role from that regard has definitely changed. I still, I provide input to the overall vision, but I would probably see myself today spend a lot of my time on the people and culture side of things, which is something that's very passionate for myself and for Des. Um, so, you know, obviously we want to build a business that does great revenues and, um, you know, has, uh, has, has lots of great customers and all of that. Uh, kind of thing but the other big thing for us is we wanted to build a company where people would like to come to work enjoy working would get to develop themselves learn new things get responsibility that they might get in other companies and um yeah so both of us have always been 
driven by that, um, that Learn Upon shouldn't just be a job, but actually something that people look forward to do. And I'd say most of my time today goes around building out that team, trying to maintain that culture, um, hiring in the people that can help us on the next phase of the journey. Um, like we're, you know, very proud. We're kind of, while we're headquartered in Ireland, um, we've a great team in Belgrade, team in Philadelphia, some in Arizona and in Sydney. So we see ourselves very much as a global company and to be able to blend those cultures into like making learn upon a great place to work and to execute at the level that we do. Um, I think that takes, takes a lot of focus from, from myself and from Des and the other leaders in the business. So, um, so, so I know I'm only meant to pick one, John, but I think it's changed yeah. a little bit. Over well, listen, that. as I know, Brendan, you're a very formidable character, you know, and, and, and um, um, you know, lots of people and our listeners included can learn a lot from, from this podcast, but obviously you, um, you, you can teach an, an awful lot to uh, the, the people in your own organization, you know, because I mean, hat tip to you, there, there is, I can, I, can, I can count on one hand, you know, the, the people that I know that are as hard working as you, Brendan. So absolute hat tip to you in, in that regard, you know, and that, that's kind of, for me, that's, um, that's leadership at its best, you know? So just quickly, the, um, the future, right? So, so in terms of learning, I'm, I'm curious, are people more interested now in, in learning tools is, the overall space kind of getting more and more um, traction are and, and and i say this because um my own experience um you know let's just say even going back even um, um as close as five years ago um in order to convince you know the big table that enablement and uh, learning is extremely important in an organization was quite the task and I think there's been a bit of a shift now. I don't know. You're the expert. So I'm wondering, kind of, what role does AI or machine learning play in the future, do you think, of learning and, you know, kind of immersive kind of learning? And, and what kind of trends are you seeing? Or like, where is the future at for learning for organizations? Yeah, I, did, I think it's definitely, and, you know, I guess some of it's driven probably off the back of COVID as well, being maybe accelerated a little bit um, in the last 12 to 18 months, just the focus that it's getting within organizations, certainly like we've seen this year as, as companies went remote with their teams, suddenly um, the importance of learning across a remote workforce is, is really heightened, particularly if your business is growing, hopefully, and you're hiring and onboarding new people. We've seen it ourselves this year. We've hired probably 80 people um, since since March and all, all interviewed remotely, all onboarded remotely, assimilated into their teams and and producing. But a big part of that is okay, how do you um how do you onboard and upskill and train these people so that they know how to do their job? And I think maybe in the past if people had a learning platform and it wasn't great, the, the experience wasn't great, but it sort of did the job, companies would have um, settled with it. I think now the importance of learning is like actually our LMS or learning platform needs to be best in class. We can't expect our, our users, our employees to, to kind of have this really bad experience where they can't find the content that they're looking for. They don't know how to log in or whatever it is. Whereas you might have put up with those frustrations in the past. I think that's no longer acceptable. And that creates a great opportunity for companies like LearnUpon who are trying to bring that 
better experience to the table. Um, so we've we've seen we've definitely seen that. I think there's definitely trends where making the knowledge that people need to do their jobs. Like we now kind of see it like um, a lot of what people have available to companies to kind of grow. It's it's very um, same same opportunities are there for everyone. So how are you going to win? Well, probably the one area is um, if your team have more knowledge or better skilled and better trained up. And um, so we see it as a competitive advantage that, you know, platform like LearnUpon can help enable from that perspective. We're looking at some of the, like the new technologies like AI and ML. I think some of that is like, I think it just makes the whole process more efficient and it, um, it, it can help um, learners get the right content of what they need to do their job when they need it more efficiently. So um, we see things like that, like recommendation engines and uh, playing a role and getting really sophisticated, like obviously by their nature, learning as they go and um, they can have a, a big impact that like if a learner needs to find something out in a certain area to do their job that rather than that being a big ordeal of maybe having to go to their manager and talk and has anyone built this course, has anyone done it, all of that can be streamlined and just be made much more efficient. Um, so we, we see really interesting opportunities there. And also from, a, I guess, an L&D and admin perspective, just to make um, L&D professionals more efficient in their time and what they spend their time on, I think there's interesting opportunities around how content gets created and the role that AI and ML can play in that as well, which is um, is definitely, a, a, I think, an interesting area that we think will become come more to the fore in the next couple of years. So, so Brendan, thank you for sharing. And I suppose as we wrap up, and as an Irish company and an Irish CEO and co-founder, um, you know, we've obviously got an incredibly good name as a nation in the world, and you know, a lot of Irish. Uh, people in America or a lot of Irish Americans claim claim Irish roots and, and such but I'm curious to know we, we often talk about this when we have Irish guests on about the crack and and just to clarify for some of our non-Irish listeners that's spelled C-R-A-I-C and it's not the narcotic variety as I always say but I'm curious to know like how do you um, define the crack number one and then how do you I suppose define and execute on a, on a global culture with such a huge reach that you guys have nowadays? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Ross. Like for me, I kind of often describe it, particularly when I'm maybe talking to, you know, candidates that we're going through, maybe I chat through the interview process and they want to know like, well, what, what's it like to work and learn upon? And I've always kind of taken it back to even myself and Des's friendship at the start and, and as we built the team out over the years, like we were um, very focused on like, basically we wanted the skills and talent that our team would bring, but that they would also be good fun and, have the crack and fit into the company and that's i think as a founder like there's a in, in an early stage startup there's lots of things you can't control but the one thing you can control is who you hire and um so we've been very focused on that and i often describe as i say describe it as people that like we take the business and our customers very seriously but we don't take ourselves too seriously and that for me is it like um i think for myself and des and, and anyone in the team we, we don't tolerate egos um, or as we say in Ireland, people who have notions about themselves. You won't get very far <laughs> learn upon with that kind of um, attitude. We're, we're like, we're all willing to get our hands dirty, whatever the, whatever the job is that needs to be done. We roll up our sleeve and do it. It's not like the attitude of like, that's not my job or whatever. So I think if you combine that with, you know, doing a great job for our customers, building a great product and then being able to go out and have fun and, 
um, is, is really important. And then on the global scale, yeah, like I think we're lucky when we started learning when Des was based in Belgrade in Serbia, his, his wife is Serbian. So when myself and Des started the business, we, we started as a remote business. I was in Dublin at the time and he was in Belgrade. And so when it came to building out our team and being able to hire our first couple of people, um, I hired, uh, as I said, support and marketing and sales in Dublin and Des hired uh, the engineering team in Belgrade. But even those early days, we didn't have much money. We used to twice a year bring the, the, the Belgrade, the Serbian team over to Dublin in the summer and again at Christmas. And throughout the year, we'd send members of the Dublin team over. And it just created that rapport and um, camaraderie that you want in a business. So even though we were thousands of miles apart, we, we always felt, because you can do a lot over obviously Slack and Zoom and various tools to collaborate, but it's still, there's nothing quite like that, being able to meet up with your colleagues from another country and go out for dinner, go for pints, do treasure hunts or whatever sort of events, you team events you organize. And when we were a five, 10 person company, we used to do those kind of things. And when we opened up our, made our first hires in Philadelphia, um, about that was 2016 about three or four years ago it was the same thing we tried to bring the u.s team over to dublin um you know with once or twice a year and we'd regularly go over and so we've obviously things are a bit different this year but we're looking forward to getting back to that i think um it has a huge impact um actually when we we hit a big milestone uh october last year that we've been kind of working towards for a couple of years and we brought pretty much the whole company i think we had um just over 100 people at the time. And we brought 96 to, to Berlin in Germany for a weekend away. And that was an amazing experience. It was like definitely one of those, as a founder, stand back moments. I think at one point, we pretty much had a restaurant booked out to ourselves with almost 100 people in it. And myself and Des were standing in the corner, kind of just looking, going like, wow, like this is, this is what we've got to. And that's kind of a, it's quite a humbling experience, I think, to see that. And just to see all the interaction, we had our team from Australia over, um, over from Sydney. We had people from Canada, the US, Belgrade, Dublin, the UK, um, and all together for a couple of days, which was really cool. And sort of like kind of set our stall out of, okay, we got to that milestone. Here's what we're going to do in the next four or five years. And really helps, I think everyone buys into that vision. And then when you're working on those tough days and people are, you know you have challenges you're dealing with you're and you're you're looking for help from your colleagues in another another office or another department um i think uh, that strong team bond really shines true in those scenarios wow that's awesome um very comprehensive answer and, and very much uh sets the tone for team building um i, I can only imagine you standing in the restaurant uh, in in the corner there looking back on, on your achievements and uh, I feel like with the pandemic at the moment uh, going out for pints is something I'm going to tell my kids about you know this is what I used to do you know this is what our generation did and hopefully we'll be able to go back to that I'm uh, having a birthday with a zero on the end of it in early December and I'm I'm crossing all my fingers um that in fact I'll be able to go and actually celebrate it with my wife but uh the jury's still out on that one well look Brendan I can't thank you enough for being our guest today I think our audience will get a ton of value from what you've said uh, you really set the tone in terms of leadership product development sales and marketing and uh, I think there's an awful lot to take away from this uh, I'm sure John will echo my sentiments since I was certainly taking notes but thank you again for your contribution no problem at all Ross thanks for the opportunity great to, great to chat to you and John really enjoyed thank you it. Brendan yeah wonderful wonderful insights.
You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.